you know, I could probably maintain this lifestyle for around like $1,100 a month, which is crazy. You know, like there's no need for that. <laughs> That's awesome though. I mean, it's so freeing knowing you have that, you know, in your back pocket, like you can just pull the frugality card out if like crap hits the fan and you can be fine if you're in, if you literally lost your job tomorrow. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show, but I could not be doing this thing by myself, so what's up, Justin? Not much, just been on the road a little bit for travel, but looking forward to some uh, whitewater rafting this weekend, actually getting to go for only 25 bucks through the, uh, the local Air Force Base, so it's a pretty good deal. That sounds pretty sweet, man. Where are you doing that? I'm actually not sure. I know that you show up, they bus you out to where you're going and they bus you back. So it's, you know, you don't really have to worry about the logistics. And speaking of logistics, Justin, that's pretty much all we're going to cover in today's show. We want to really break down the nuts and bolts of what our expenses are and how we're keeping them under control and how keeping your expenses as low as possible in a way that you're not depriving yourself is one of the most powerful ways to accelerate your path to financial independence. So Justin, let's kind of just start from the top. We'll both go through our expenses. We both live in a relatively high cost of living state. So let's kick it off with housing. Justin, what do you pay for housing now? And what are some of the decisions you've made that have led you to pay that amount per month? And what kind of sacrifices do you make? Yeah, so I'd say, you know, I kind of give both ends of the spectrum of like when I first moved here and the whole just straight up roommates, like random roommates, and then versus now where it's me and Leslie, just the two of us splitting a place. I mean, actually, it's worked out almost even. So the first place was nowhere near as nice, had random roommates, just somebody, you know, just a Craigslist thing. I was paying 700 bucks a month, but that didn't include utilities or anything. We didn't have central air conditioning. We barely ever ran the heat and stuff, so we kept our bills really low, but we were paying $700 a month for rent. Very small, very old, you know, not the best place versus now it's actually only $837 a person. Utilities are included and it's, I've got a ton of space and it's really nice and it's only a mile from the other house. It was just a matter of you know, really taking time and not just jumping on the first place that popped up. And I think that's pretty important too, is a lot of people will just like go on Zillow, you know, whatever, suck it up, whatever the lowest one is. But I think Justin, you had an interesting story actually about how you found your apartment, if you want to share. The one I'm in now, and I guess I totally missed the ball on the, what are some of the sacrifices? So the way I found it was I was in the other apartment, the third floor caught on fire. So I was displaced for like five months. Somebody at work, you know, on the Air Force Base, you know, knew that I was needing a place. And then he heard somebody else saying, I got this place I want to rent out. I really would like it to be a military person. Like I give him a deal because I just, you know, I trust them more and whatever. And so he synced us up. He comes to show me the place and he shows me the second floor. And the second floor is massive. He wants like $2,100 for it, but it's so old. I mean, it's like straight 1800s. He's like, well, (laughs) I got this third floor, but I don't, you know, most people don't, wouldn't want to rent it. And I was like, let's see it. It's brand new. It's cheaper. It's $1,700 total. So again, we're splitting that. But the weird part is it doesn't have a stove or dishwasher or like a, an oven. So it's like an in-law apartment, but it also had this tiny little like hotel size sink and it didn't have an ice maker, a couple of the random things. And so we kind of got him to meet halfway. I, I got him to come down the price a little bit. I got him to put in a full size big sink and I got him to hook up the ice maker and then we just got like a, a countertop oven and electric stove eye. And it's actually been super nice because cleaning up the kitchen is way easier than it was before. And I've lived a lot of years without a dishwasher. So that's probably my only real sacrifice is that I don't have a dishwasher. But my rent is about $1,000 per person less than a lot of my friends spend here in Boston. 
And that's $12,000 a year. That's no small change. And for me personally, I guess, I mean, I came out of college semi-recently, so I was living in an absolute dump in college, kind of like what you described in Boston. I was paying $350 a month, actually crushing eight guys into a five-bedroom house. (laughs) Then I moved back with my mom, so I was living for free. Now I'm fixing up a lake house cottage I have. It's not insulated, so I'm only here till the end of August. And then September, Justin, I'm actually going to be moving pretty close to you. In Boston, again, kind of make it a little bit of sacrifice. I'm sharing a room, but I'm paying 600 bucks a month in rent. So I think if you kind of do take that untraditional route, and if you really dig, like if you don't just go for the first apartment or the first house or whatever, if you really kind of get into the numbers and understand how much money you can save on an annual basis, you can start to save so much money. So that's how we handle housing, albeit, Justin, we do not have kids yet. We don't have any families, but we are doing some untraditional paths where we either get roommates or we find a place that no one else is looking at. So that's housing. It seems like we are doing pretty well compared to everyone else. Looking at the numbers here, we're less than 50% what the average person in Boston spends at housing, actually closer to 70% less, which is pretty crazy. But let's hop into transportation. So what do you do for transportation, Justin? And what are your average monthly costs? Yeah, so I'm kind of like uh, probably going to get shamed by the fire people that I have two cars but and I live in Boston. But I do have to have a car for work most of the time. I mean, I've actually set a goal this year to only drive half the days and I've been pretty good at sticking to that because I can use public transportation to get me all the way out there. It takes a long time and in my job, sometimes I have like offsite meetings that I couldn't get to if I took public transportation or try to ride my bicycle. But, you know, my car insurance is $49 a month and I generally spend somewhere around $60 a month on gas. So probably like 110 bucks a month. Both cars are completely paid off. One is a 2001 F-150 that I gave 2,500 bucks for. And then one is a 2013 Ford Fusion that I bought when it was practically new that I gave I gave 23000 for, but it's like a loaded out hybrid, gets 40 miles a gallon, all that good stuff. But not something I would necessarily recommend somebody buy that car in that same exact moment. But, you know, if that's the worst financial mistake I ever made before, I, that was way before I even got into all this stuff. But yeah, so that's what I spent on cars. How about you, Cody? Yeah. One thing I do want to touch on before we hop forward, I know we're doing expenses here, but you did have a cool thing you were doing. I don't think you do it anymore to offset the cost of transportation. If you want to talk about that for a sec. Oh yeah. So, but since I do have two vehicles and I actually normally prefer to drive the truck, even though it gets terrible gas mileage, I just don't drive enough for that to really move the needle. And I really like driving the truck. And it was, it makes sense because I can put the car on Turo and the car, the truck is not as desirable around here, especially because the (laughs) age on something like Turo, but the car would clear about $30 a day and it would stay rented about 50% of the time. Um, I had some maintenance issues and so I pulled it off Turo and I just got to get it back going. But highly recommend that. I mean, it's it's super easy. That car has keyless entry, so I don't even necessarily have to be there. I can just give them the code and they can get in and go. Awesome, man. I just wanted to highlight that because Turo is a super cool way to offset the cost of transportation if, say, you live in a city like Boston where you can't just hop on the T or hop on the bus and get somewhere. For me, you're going to like this, Justin. Well, maybe fire people will hate me too. I do also drive a truck that I inherited in an unfortunate circumstance, but it's completely paid off. I don't drive too, too much. So like you, gas doesn't really move the needle. I just drive like back and forth to the grocery store and the gym pretty much. So yeah, that's pretty, keep it pretty low. I'd say I'd probably spend between 200 and 225 a month on just gas and random maintenance stuff. So that's not too bad. I'm looking at the averages here and that is Wow, less than 70% what normally people pay for all cars and all that good stuff included. So we're doing good in two facets so far, Justin. The next one I want to get into, and you're a master at this, you're going to crush me, is food. So Justin, what do you spend on food? What's include going out to eat in this category on a monthly basis? Okay, so that's what I was about to say. Uh, Everyone normally freaks out about my grocery budget, and I do cook 90% of my meals in the house. For groceries, I spend 
I average $60 a month and I've got some posts out there about exactly what would that look like and you know, no, I don't eat cardboard and sand and that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, I will say it's going to be a little hard for me to just do a full food roll up because what I everybody's different, right? When they make their budgets, different categories make sense for people different ways. I put eating out in a category of kind of social things that I'm intaking. So if that means going out and having a drink or even if that means buying like beer for a house party, like that all goes into my eating out category. Basically, any food or beverage that I didn't make myself goes into the eating out category. And I would say that one typically is somewhere, just the eating out part is probably somewhere around 100 bucks a month. So total like 160. All right. You definitely are crushing me a little bit. <laughs> I'm not too, too bad, Justin. I'm not the $60 a month in groceries. I spend about 25 to 30 a week. So I'm like between 100 and 120 in groceries. And then I definitely spend too much on alcohol going out for doing that as a category with food. All in, I was just looking at my last few months of mint. I spend around 400 a month on food plus all alcohol and all that stuff combined. Not too, too bad for a 23-year-old who's still trying to live it up. So <laughs> looking at the averages here, I'm still doing pretty dang good. It's still 40% less than the average. And Justin, you're like 80% less than the average. So both crushing it in that category. I've seen what you drink, so I'm a little worried about you if you're spending that much. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I got a problem. <laughs> not really, not really. Okay, how about stuff like entertainment or just like discretionary stuff? Like what's your monthly budget for that? What do you spend? So what I put in my travel category would be whether it's like a concert ticket, a movie ticket, plane ticket, anything like that, you know, like an adventure race, a concert, uh, you name it. I'd spend a good bit on travel. So I spend probably on average over $300 a month on travel. And that's what, you know, I think what you might see is that I would assume most people on average don't spend that much. Um, now, maybe if they include like if they don't break it out per person and they think about like, well, you know, maybe it's a, a single provider of a family and they're taking six people to Disney World and that kind of like skews the numbers a little bit. But I don't think people travel anywhere near as much as I do. And but yet, you know, I don't spend much on groceries and things and I just have kind of a inverted budget. How about you, Cody? I think one thing you're saying there is like you spend a lot on travel, but you also travel hack the crap out of flights. You get free flights. You get $50 worth of food every time you go to the airport. <laughs> so you're making yourself out to be a way worse five traveler than you are. <laughs> yeah, I travel a ridiculous amount and, I, and that's at about like three, three hundred something dollars a month. And that again, that travel includes like once I get there, the things I'm doing, you know, the concerts I'm going on, renting a canoe, whatever it is. You know, like this year, Southwest had the companion pass promotion going where you only had to get the one credit card to get the companion pass. I think we're going to end up this year with probably, I don't know, 16 flats on Southwest wow. between the two of us, you know, or probably more than that between the two of us. And for every one of those flights, you know, Leslie gets to fly for free. And then when you signed up for the card, you got points, which you got to, you know, get some free flats with. And then when you're talking about like at the like $50 worth of free food every time I fly, that's probably less than average of what I normally get when I fly. I've been to 38 lounges already this year. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, like today I went to this, I only went to one because I was running late tonight, but normally I probably would have went to like four, even on a one day trip. Like I would have went to two on the way in and two on the way out, ate at one, got food to go with the other one, eat at one, get food to go with the other one. And, you know, just there, that's $112 worth of free food in one day. And that's that's not too shabby. Something to do all the time. <laughs> but you know, if you haven't seen the news, if you've been living under a rock, warning, warning. If you're a Priority Pass member and you're doing that under the American Express umbrella, those restaurants are going away August first. So you need to transition over to like a Chase Sapphire Reserve and get the Priority Pass through them. 
Sweet, man. And just for some context for all our listeners who don't really know the behind the scenes of the show, Justin literally travels like 17 times a week. It's <laughs> a nightmare coordinating sometimes. He's like coming back from camping. It's like 11 p.m. and we're like <laughs> getting an episode recorded or he's done some episodes from the airport. So this guy is literally all over the map despite people on what were you on, Justin, that people were just bagging on you as the Boston Globe? The Boston Globe. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah. they, they thought I was uh, living a miserable life like a hermit crab. Yeah. So for me, definitely same thing, travel. I'm so much more experience driven than anything material whatsoever. Like I would spend any amount of money. I would literally eat ramen for an entire year if I could trade that money to go on cool adventures. Like food and like discretionary stuff, that means nothing to me compared to the experiences you get from travel. I know, Justin, we've talked about this and it's the exact same thing. I think what you used in your analogy when you were on was it bigger pockets money? It was like, you're not going to remember what you ate last Tuesday, but you're going to (laughs) remember that vacation you took forever, you know? So I'm totally the same way. I spend between three to 500 on like entertainment stuff, whether it's like concerts, traveling, random going out to cool things with my friends. That's probably in my range per month. It might seem a little high, but like you said, maybe it is. I don't know. I don't really know what other people spend. I'd be kind of curious to hear if people want to chime in in the Facebook group to see like what other people's travel or is random entertainment expenses are as well. Now, the one thing I will say, like, you know, full transparency is I do spend a decent bit on what I would call my miscellaneous category, which is like if I was getting a new cell phone or like some new gear, because that's my weak spot. I love tech. I love gadgets and I love gear. So like camping gear. And then also things I would put in there were things that I wouldn't necessarily consider travel, but I just didn't know where to put it. So like last year, that category got pretty inflated because I was taking private pilot lessons, which are expensive, you know, and then I bought like a nice camera lens and I bought like a nice cooler and I bought, you know, some camping stuff. And so that category got a little bigger than I think an average year for me would be. But my thing has just always been, again, that kind of like similar lines of the, you don't remember what you had for lunch last Tuesday and not spending money on that doing experiences. I feel that same way with like gear. Like don't buy just a bunch of random crap on Amazon. That's each thing's like $8 and it falls apart in a day. Like just, you know, do a lot of research on a product, buy something that's really well made something that's going to last you a long time and and go that route and it's you're going to be a lot happier with the product and it's probably going to turn out financially better in the long run yeah so i'm definitely there with you as well with the full transparency thing like something i've learned i used to just out frugal myself way too hard and i'd get such a low quality product and then realize or regret it like months later or even days later i'd be like this is a piece of crap like i should have just spent the 20 extra bucks to get the nice (laughs) version of it and so i wouldn't like just be living in hell trying to figure this thing out like i bought a bike one time off of gumtree when i was in australia it's like the australian craigslist and it was a pink bike the seat didn't work it was so rusty and i bought it for 25 bucks there was a nicer bike for like 50 bucks and i just couldn't get myself to cough up the extra 25 and it's such a petty silly little thing but like when you kind of get into this five space and you just get obsessed with savings maximizing that savings rate i really do think you can kind of go too far sometimes so i've definitely loosened up the reins a little bit on that frugality obviously we're both still very intentional with our money super intentional about our spending honestly reining in your spending is one of the most powerful tools you can have on your way to financial independence if your income is at least at like a decent level. If you're not making like 10K a year, then you have an income problem and you probably work on that as well. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that like you can get into the space and you can get addicted to it and then you can go overboard. And I think the best way to kind of go about this is it might have been from the 5180 episode. I, I don't remember 100%, but I know someone, you know, they just talk about you have that big list and you just take one thing every month. I mean, you can go a little faster than if you need to, but the important thing is to remember is 
if it hurts when you remove it, you can always bring it back and you should bring it back if it really does hurt. Like don't go into deprivation. And like I said before, you know, one of the things that makes my life a lot better is my cell phone. And so I don't mind spending some money on that. But speaking of cell phones, Cody, what do you do for your like monthly cell service, like your cell phone bill? Yeah. So I'm actually kind of on like a legacy sprint plan where I'm only paying like 30 bucks a month for unlimited data. And it's a pretty sweet plan that I had. It wasn't through my dad's work and I'm kind of just like grandfathered in. So I know I'm super lucky with that. I know other people have experimented with like Cricket and Republic Wireless and Google Fry or Project Fi, whatever it's called. But yeah, I'm, I'm just spending 30 bucks a month for unlimited data. I know I'm super lucky and I don't want to get ragged on for that. But how about you, Justin? Yeah. So on ours, like when the cell phone's paid off, you're looking at just over $40 a month per person and it's unlimited everything Verizon, which is, you know, a lot of people jump to the crickets and the things like that to bring the price down. But for me, like, especially because I travel so much, like having really good internet, like really good coverage at that price. And the way I was able to do that is, you know, on a family plan, you can put, I want to say it's 10 people on the unlimited at the standard price. And so I just have like, you know, me, my brother, his kids, my mom, my dad, Leslie, we're all on this <laughs> giant plan under my name. And they just, you know, they have either Venmo, some of them, or they have automatic payments coming to me every month. And it just cost average everything really well. That's awesome. Do you have any other subscription type stuff like that? Yeah. So we do Netflix, which I think is what, like 11 bucks a month, you know, yep. which and all, all the way our expenses are set up right now, you know, everything I have that would be something that you know, more than one person use type thing, like where me and Leslie are both using it, we split all that. So for internet, you know, it's, I pay $18 a month because I'm paying half. For Netflix, you know, pay like $6 a month because I'm paying half. I think that's the only subscriptions that I have is Netflix, internet, cell phone, car insurance. And those all go into my standard bill category. So my standard bill category is typically, you know, just under $1,000, like 960 five dollars basically is everything outside of like food travel eating out gas which makes me think you know like i'm saving 75 percent the way i spend now if something like really terrible happened and i had to i could cut that in you know almost in half by if all i did was pay my bills and bought groceries and just like if i literally did have to just kind of like go for runs for entertainment or whatever like if i had to just <laughs> hunker down i could probably live for you know, I could probably maintain this lifestyle for around like $1,100 a month, which is crazy. You know, like there's no need for that. <laughs> That's awesome though. I mean, it's so freeing knowing you have that, you know, in your back pocket, like you can just pull the frugality card out if like crap hits the fan and you can be fine. If you're in, if you literally lost your job tomorrow, you could like really, really extend out how much your reserves will last you. Like, and, and that's the thing I think to keep in mind is when you see some of these numbers, like what they sound like when you're saying, oh, I'm saving 75% of my income. It can sound so miserable, but that's why I like, I really like doing the, I do those monthly recaps on, on my blog on Saving Sherpa where, you know, you can see, okay, don't just focus on the numbers. Like, let's talk about all the activities we did. And let's talk about like the things that if you had to cut out something, you still could. And you're not, you're not just like living on the bone. One more thing I want to talk about just really quickly before we kind of bring this thing full circle. I just want to talk about our annual expenses, what that means exactly, but like insurance and those types of things. So for me personally, I reshop like every four to six months. Honestly, I'm kind of crazy about it. I'll just hit up my insurance agent. I shop around for the best auto insurance quotes. I shop around for better health insurance quotes, shop around for better homeowners insurance quotes. So Justin, like what's your process with that? So I'll say that I'm lucky and can do be pretty lazy with this because I don't have any insurance other than my car insurance and my renter's insurance. 
because all my medical stuff is provided through the military and there's no deductible. I mean, you can't, you can't compete it. I mean, it's free. Um, <laughs> and the car insurance and stuff through USAA is, I mean, from everything I've seen has always been really good prices. Like, so I, I don't, I don't shop around for additional car insurance. I really like USAA. They really took care of me during the house fire situation for renter's insurance. So I honestly don't shop around on the insurance. But then again, going, I guess one thing we haven't talked about that it's not that it's irrelevant, the numbers we've given without the context, but if you hear things like in just straight percentages, like if you hear 75%, it's not fair to not know like, okay, well, how much money is he making? And so I clear right at $90,000 a year, like after taxes. And I always look at things after taxes because my income is weird. I have a lot of my, (laughs) I have a lot of my income that's not taxed. So when somebody says like, oh, I'll make 130,000, you know, before taxes, like, I don't know how to compare that. I mean, I could, but it's like annoying. So I just, if you ever see anything on my blog or ever hear me talking about income, I'm always talking about like straight cash on me, you know, like after taxes. Straight cash on me. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. And I'm, it's a little harder to ballpark where I'm at right now because I don't have like a steady income. It's just like a smorgasbord of side hustles, but I'm probably clearing like four to five grand a month after tax. So I don't know what that is, like six figures ish just for some context, but it's, it's super irregular. I have no idea what the rest of the year is going to look like. Like it could go up, it could go down, who knows, but that's kind of where I'm at. But I think that is important, Justin, like that we are both super transparent about that. And you're right. Percentages are just percentages if you don't have any context. So I think it's a good thing to know. Obviously those are higher incomes compared to the average person in America or someone who's like on the poverty line. This is a totally different situation, but that's just, that's where we're at. Yeah. And I think that, but looking at the pay though, ties back into you know, the kind of where we ended up living. So I've lived in both. I've lived in the low income middle of nowhere in Mississippi and I've lived here. And the reality is, is most of the time you're going to be able to find a good bit increase in income by moving somewhere like here versus living in, in a Mississippi. And in reality, like what is more expensive about living here? Really just rent. And okay, I'm paying 800 and something dollars a month here could I get a roommate and pay $300 a month in Mississippi? Yeah, I could. And I would save maybe $6,000 a year. But do I make a lot more than $6,000 a year by living here versus in Mississippi? Oh, yeah. So like, it is actually a financial benefit for me to live in a bigger city than and that that doesn't even take into account like all the free activities, cheaper flights, public transportation, you know, being able to walk to a store versus having to drive to it. Like, I think there's a big argument to be made. If you're in a certain point in your life, you don't have a huge family where you're trying to, you know, you need a big house. That There's a lot of people who could benefit from just quit worrying about like the fact that rent's going to be a little higher. Look about the holistic picture and, and move out of your small town into a bigger city. I really love that. So Justin, one thing I want to do is bring this thing full circle. Could you just talk about, so mine's a little bit more irregular. I'm going to kind of ballpark it going forward with my Boston rent as well. But what did you spend last year? Or maybe you can just do an average of the last few years while you've been living in the same spot. So my total spending last year was $24,000. And I don't think it'll be that high um, this year because last year I bought a truck. I was taking flight lessons. I um, just bought a few other but kind of bigger ticket items. Um, and this year I'm trending lower than that. This year I'm trending more like $1,800 a month, whereas last year I was trending more like $2,000 a month. Okay, so we're actually right around what I was just ballparking. I was doing some Excel earlier, and we're right around the same. I'm looking at like 20 grand a year all in for living expenses. So, just to give people like a frame of reference, like in the whole FI world, I'm sure a lot of you listening know the 4% rule where, say, you need $40,000 a year to live, you need a million dollars to save up. 
just by doing what we're doing, like living on say twenty to twenty five thousand dollars a year, we're reducing that number by four or five hundred thousand dollars if you're using that same four percent rule. And I just think that's when you kind of put it in that framework, that's when it gets really mind boggling. I can save this like I can save five hundred thousand dollars less now because of the choices I've made to reduce my spending. And like that's where financial independence gets really powerful. Yeah. And when you're looking at, you know, it, <laughs> I guess it sounds like a first world problem to say when you only have to save $500,000, which, is, which seems <laughs> yeah. like a ridiculous amount first of money. Problem. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's, it's really not when you get to breaking it down. I mean, when it starts growing, it grows quickly. You know, I started in, I started getting serious about this and tracking my finances in 2015 and I had $38,000. Now, four years later, you know, I'm sitting at about $360,000 and it's grown so much more in the last year. Than, and obviously we've had a good stock market. I get that. I get it can be cut in half, but when you get that compounding interest, it's just amazing. And, you know, I know like Doug Norman always says that like humans are terrible at like getting their minds wrapped around like exponential returns. So that kind of, you know, that we've seen a chart where it's going, 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 and all of a sudden it just does that U shape straight upward people aren't good at seeing that and you just really got to stick with it because the first couple of years are going to feel slow and then it's going to get fast really quick. And it's crazy too. Like a lot of my friends I've tried to convince like, Hey, you should start investing. Just showing them like stock market returns over X number of years. Like if you threw money in, in 2012 or 2013, it probably would have doubled by now. And it's crazy. Just like people just have that fear of that analysis paralysis because investing is kind of this unknown, this world that people don't know. And then they freak out when the market goes down, but it is the most powerful thing. I think it was Albert Einstein who said, the eighth wonder of the world is compound interest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we've probably, anyone who's been like around this stuff has probably been hearing that we're at the top for the last five years. So just get used to hearing that, get used to hearing like it'll never come back, get used to hearing all those like written in stone, like this is what's going to happen and then it being wrong because no one knows what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so Justin, I think something that would be cool for this episode is before we both sign off, let's both give our best call to action for this episode. Okay, so I'm kind of going to, I think what I'm going to do is reuse one that I kind of mentioned in my Bigger Pockets Money podcast, and we've kind of hinted at today. And it's really just more of a mental exercise as we're talking about budgeting and what to cut out. And so my little spiel that I always say to people is I'll ask them, hey, what'd you eat for lunch last Tuesday? And most people can't tell you what that answer is. And I'll say, okay, well, what's the last like memorable experience you had? Like whether it be a concert or trip you went on. And their eyes light up and they get all excited and they start telling you all the details about it. And I'm like, that, that is your litmus test. Like if it is something that you're about to spend money on and you're honest with yourself and you realize this is not even going to matter in a week, then that's what you cut out. And if it's the things that really bring you happiness, don't cut that in the name of this journey. Like, you know, enjoy your life on the way there. And one thing actually my call to action is very close on the lines of that is that even if you think you're going to be like, it's a detriment to cut X out or Y out of your budget, just try it for a week or two or a month or so or whatever. Like, I think people get so ingrained in a certain lifestyle. I've seen this with people my age, with people older. Like, say you're 21 years old, you're in college, you're spending what, like $6,000 a year. All of a sudden, you start making 60K and you start spending 60K. And then a year later, you couldn't imagine living a life where you spent less than that 60K. So just go back, cut some things out. And like Justin was saying, like, if it really, really stings, then yeah, of course, put it back into your budget. But I feel like a lot of things that people think they'll miss when they cut things out or like even cleaning out your closet, you're going through all these shirts and stuff and you think you're going to miss them or you're never going to get rid of this thing. And then when you get rid of it, you forget 
forget about it a week later. So just do an experiment, you know, take a week, take two weeks, take a month, cut some random things out of your budget, see what you can lower and see what you're not going to miss. And your bank account and your investing and everything about your financial independence journey will thank you. Yeah, Cody, I think those are two great call to actions. And I think it just kind of shows that this journey is not so much about like equations and, and numbers and complicated things that are often intimidating. It's really more about a mindset and about kind of getting your heart in the right place and getting your priorities in order and figuring out what's, you know, what actually makes you happy. And if you want to get like a lot of the links to little things we mentioned, or, you know, I'm sure we'll have some links to our different little blog posts where you can really, you know, get into a month and see at a granular level what we're spending and the things we're doing. You can get that at thefyshow.com slash expenses. And if you want to join the most inclusive, awesome Facebook group where we can get out there, you can ask us those questions direct and we'll answer those publicly for you. Super transparent. You can join in with that Facebook group at thefyshow.com slash community. And as always, we really enjoy those five-star reviews and those comments because those help us get awesome guests, even though you had the two best guests you're ever going to get this week. So thanks for listening. <laughs> See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show.